Hey, I'm so thankful to be here with you guys today. Uh, and on behalf of Solar City, I just want to say um, how thankful we are for you, the congregation here at Chicopee, because uh, you guys have been so gracious to us by not just opening up a building for us to use on a weekly basis for you know the foreseeable future, but you've opened up your lives and you've opened up your ministry to us. I'm, I'm reminded of this passage in 1 Thessalonians this week as I was pre- preparing for this morning. And this is what Paul says. He was talking to the Thessalonians and in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, this is what it says. And this, this grips me and I hope it can be said about my life as it is about you, I believe. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own selves because you have become so very dear to us. Isn't that incredible? That is what I have been reminded of as I've thought about you guys here at Chicopee. So we're so encouraged. I've sensed a similar eagerness that Paul had here in many of you. And um, it's simply incredible. We thank God for this. But I'm also excited this morning, uh, not just thankful, I'm expectant and excited for, uh, for this morning, for this reason. We both get to consider what this beautiful passage at the end of John, which, which Ashley just read, means for us today. The Bible, and subsequently this passage right here in John, was not necessarily written to us. We know it was written to, to Peter, right, right here. And then John wrote it uh, to, to a particular audience. But it was definitely written for us, for our benefit So when we come to read this passage today, Jesus is saying something very specifically for Peter, right? So he's saying Peter, uh, who had just denied Jesus three times, is given a chance to receive and love Jesus, maybe in a sense repent, re-up his commitment to Christ. And Jesus' response to Peter shows us a glimpse into the role that God had given Peter as an apostle and as an early worker and laborer in the church that the Holy Spirit was building, which we see happen in the book of Acts. And the tradition of how Peter died was that he was crucified upside down uh, by the Emperor Nero. And and this passage right here is specifically referencing that. And at the time of writing, John would have probably already known this. Peter would have probably already died when he wrote this gospel. Isn't that crazy? But also, we get to read this passage this morning and see something specific and meaningful for us as we seek to understand Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and our call as disciples of Jesus. And for the sake of this morning, I want to really consider verse 18. And something is happening. As we look at it. I think it might be the acoustic guitar. So we're going to look at verse 18 here. And Ashley had just read it, but we're going to go back and read it one more time just because we're going to spend a lot of time in this particular verse today. John 21, verse 18 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. I wonder how this lands on us. When we hear such a radical an outrageous call to live a life, a call to die that Peter received here. Do we with Peter 
see such a radical vision of God in the revelation of Jesus, when we look at the person of Christ, do we see such a radical vision of God that we say yes and amen to these things, as Peter did? Or are we confused and and do we lack an understanding of why anyone would want to lay down their life for the name of Jesus? This mentality of self-forgetfulness of radical obedience and discipleship permeates the New Testament. I want you to consider this passage in Philippians 3. Paul says this. We read this in prayer this morning if you were here. It was was an amazing time. Listen to to, to Paul's words. He had an understanding of the resurrection and the finished work of Christ that I pray we would have as he said this. Philippians 3, verse 8 through 11 says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake for Jesus' sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count all of them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness in my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him Everything is a loss except to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you love Jesus like this? Man, have you encountered the gospel in such a way to where it radically transforms everything about who you are? That's New Testament Christianity. Can you say with Paul, I count everything in my life. Name it, my job, my hobbies, my time, my money, my resources. I count everything as a loss compared to what I get in knowing Jesus Christ. So my major point this morning as we look at this passage is this, and I hope it feels attainable and accessible when I say this. We can be radically committed disciples because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We can be radically committed disciples of Christ because of the person and the work of Christ. Radically committed disciples in this. This is what I mean. Is that the application of the gospel to our lives can be all-encompassing if we have received him by faith. It means that the application of, our gospels, of, of the gospel to our life would be all-encompassing, radically committed to him, that the gospel would fundamentally, fundamentally change who we are as people. That it would change who we are about and what we are about. It would change how we live our lives and what we do with what we have and what we think about. And ultimately, above everything, what we love and how we love. Consider some of these passages for how Jesus himself talks about our call as Christians, as followers of Jesus, consider some of the things he says and ask the question of like, why would he say that if there's not something we gain in it? Consider this in John 12, 23 through 26. The hour has come that the Son of Man would be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. 
And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And he's talking about following him into death. If anyone serves me, if anyone has heard the gospel and believed it in an effective way, he must follow me even unto his death. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What Jesus does here in this passage is show us that what he was about to take on, that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would rise again, is exactly what he's calling us into in our lives. But when we see a, resurrection, a resurrected Savior, it makes all, all the sense. Or consider this passage, John chapter 10, verse 4. When the shepherd had brought all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Or John 13, 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me. Or Luke 9, 23, it says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. What I see in these passages and others is that we do not go to God with our terms and the Christian life ends up being somewhere in the middle. For example, God, I'll go to church, but I'm not going to go too deep into community. I'm afraid I'll get hurt. Or I'll give up my Wednesday nights every week, but sharing the gospel with my coworker is off the table. Notice that Jesus doesn't come to Peter with a proposal in John 21. He is Lord and He is King. He alone holds the power of death and hell in His hands. And He alone lays out the terms for our Christian life and discipleship. So if anything, today, my prayer for us today is that collectively we would push the needle just a little bit further towards radical commitment to Christ. See the magnificent of God, magnificence of God in Christ and what kind of life He is calling you into and throw yourself into that willingly and joyfully. What I want to demonstrate this morning is twofold. Number one is how the person and work of Christ that Peter encounters here, the resurrected Jesus, is the basis, number one, and number two, the person and work of Christ is the means for radical discipleship. Radically committed disciples of Jesus. Jesus himself and the person and work of Jesus Christ is the basis for discipleship and the means for discipleship. So the first, the person and work of Christ is the basis for radical discipleship. Jesus' words here in this verse are a statement about reality. The way things are in verse 18. He's not calling Peter to something in these words. He does when he says, follow me in the verse to follow. But in verse 18, this is what he says. He says, you will go where you do not want to go. You will glorify God in death. This is what happens in response to all that has been accomplished in Jesus. What does this tell me? That this radical commitment to God by Peter is a result of the finished work of Christ. The call to discipleship is to not get your act together. 
The call to discipleship is to believe the finished work of Christ. And he transforms your life. Our total devotion, our radical obedience, our forsaking, even our lives unto death for Christ, flows from the person and work of Christ. Not from the strength that we muster up. Or the moral resolve that we have. Contemporary Christianity and what I would say even Ameri- like a general consensus of American evangelicalism widely misses this. The call of Jesus to Peter does not begin with an imperative, a call to go do something. The call of Jesus to Peter begins with an indicative. Look who God in Christ is. Look at what God has accomplished in Christ and proven himself to be. You do not need to be something. You need to behold someone. You personally need to see the Christ of the Christian life to be able to live the Christian life. This is because the Christian life is an outworking of the work of Christ. This is how thorough the work of redemption in Christ really is on your behalf. Biblical Christianity is receiving an entirely new whole life because Jesus in his fullness is that wonderful and that beautiful and that powerful. If Jesus rose from the grave, then, like Peter, we are his. The scripture literally says in Corinthians that we have been bought and purchased by the price of his blood. And even further, a nominal Christianity that embraces a view of discipleship that does not affect every area, every fabric of our life is a Christianity with a weak Savior. A half Jesus. And that is not Christianity. We need the whole Christ for our whole lives if we want full salvation. You embrace Jesus in his totality or you do not embrace Jesus. Those are the terms. This passage is that. Jesus says this. He says, Peter, you see me, okay? You know What this means that I am here right now. I rose from the grave. This is a call to come and die and find true life for the first time. True life that flows from God himself. And isn't this really what we want? Isn't our deepest desire that we would be reconciled to God? Isn't our deepest desire relationship with God? And Jesus is offering us this. But we must receive him in his totality. We must receive the full Savior, and we must receive the full call to discipleship. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Think about what Peter would have been hearing. Think about these words. This is what he would have been hearing. Peter, do you love me? Do you love the man who went to the cross for your sins and the sins of others? The man who died a brutal death? The man whom you denied even knowing? The man who defeated the grave? The man who physically rose from the grave and is eating breakfast with you right now? Do you love that man? What Peter was experiencing was the power of the resurrection, which we just read about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And that is what Paul is talking about when he says, everything is a loss. Everything is a loss because of what we have in Christ now. Because of the victory that is in Christ. When we encounter the resurrected Christ, the risen Christ, what we see so clearly is that everything is a loss compared to knowing him. Have you encountered him? What we see is that everything falls and burns on the altar except for what is done in worship of him. This passage tells me that a radical devotion, a self-forgetfulness 
in the midst of worship is a byproduct of a resurrected Savior. The radical nature of what Jesus himself accomplished through his death and resurrection is the very basis for his radical call of discipleship. It's the basis of that. Do you see that? Do you see that the Christian life is not a call to do anything over and above what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross for you? But if Jesus really did accomplish what he said he accomplished, then it is a much more all-intrusive call in your life than you could ever imagine. Because he tells us to come and die with him at the cross, to be crucified with him at the cross, so that we no longer live, but he lived in us to the glory of God. So the person and work of Christ, and what he accomplishes through his death and resurrection and his ascension is the basis for discipleship. But number two, the person and work of Christ is the means for radical discipleship. In other words, there is power in the finished work of Christ that enables us to live the Christian life. Christ doesn't call you into something as Christians, as disciples, that he is not going to give you the power and strength to do. Paul says this, in verse, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we all know this, this passage. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Or you see in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 and 5, this is what preaching is. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. That's the only Christianity I'm signed up for, guys. The power of God unto salvation. There is strength in the gospel that enables us to live as radically committed disciples. I hope you see that. Jesus was certain in his words to Peter that he would follow him even unto death because he knew that in just a few days at that point, Peter and many others would be filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself, and would have all that they needed for life and godliness. And what we know from Scripture is that if we have believed in the gospel, the finished work of Jesus, we've looked at Christ, we've said yes and amen to all the promises God has made to us in Jesus, that this is what happens in our lives. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have a fellowship with God because God is with us now through the Holy Spirit. And I think a way that we can understand what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is to understand His ministry as a ministry of applying the promises of God accomplished through Christ to our lives. If Christ accomplished redemption, then the Spirit applies redemption. Christ is redemption accomplished. Holy Spirit is redemption applied. If Christ calls us to a radical discipleship, then the Spirit enables us to live as radically committed disciples. And this is what the Christian life is. It's not reading your Bible. It's not going to church. It's not giving of your resources. Christianity is not less than these things whatsoever. But these things are the fruit of something else. All of these things in our life that we do are the fruit of something else. And it's this. To be a Christian, to be a true Christian disciple is to abide in the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit is to abide with God through the power of the gospel in the Holy Spirit. God offers us deep and abiding fellowship with himself in the gospel through the Holy Spirit. 
What we get when we come to Jesus is we get Jesus himself. Biblical Christianity is power because Jesus is alive. And all of the benefits of the cross are available to us now. Radically committed disciples are just those who believe that Jesus accomplished what he said he accomplished. Here's the list of things that the Bible says about what Jesus did in his life, his death, his resurrection, and how that relates to our call to discipleship. I just want to read just a few things here, and then we'll, we'll conclude this morning. A few things about what the Scripture says he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection, and how that relates to our call to discipleship. Jesus calls us to come and die. We just read that earlier, Luke 9. Because we have eternal life in him. Because Jesus lived and died, Jesus calls us to die yet live. Or this, Jesus calls us to fight sin in our life, to be serious about it, because he made a public spectacle of sin on the cross. Jesus calls us to radical generosity because he gave his life for us, the ultimate gift. Jesus calls us to sacrificial and joyful hospitality because he has already welcomed us. Scripture says in Romans 16, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Jesus calls us to boldly share the gospel because Jesus defeated the grave. And the Christian life is believing these promises and experiencing these promises. Is that your experience today? Our lives exist on this spectrum that Jesus describes here. He, said, he tell, says to Peter, he goes, in your earlier years, you would dress yourself. When we were babes in Christ, we walked wherever we wanted to, we do whatever we want, we live however we want, we scroll Facebook and Instagram mindlessly for hours, we waste away with the luxuries and the indulgences that the world has to offer. But when we are old, when we have grown, when we encounter the resurrected Jesus in his fullness, the resurrected Jesus who has defeated the grave, our lives become about him. He dresses us and we go where we do not want to go. But if fellowship with Jesus is there, the resurrected Jesus, why would we want anything else? I'm reminded of this quote. I'm going to read it. It's a little bit long, but it's worth it. Hang with me. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship. If I'm going to preach on discipleship, you've got you to quote it. This is what he says. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again, the gift which we must ask for and the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, but it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, but it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, this call to discipleship, costly grace, is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Scripture says you were bought at a price. And what has cost God must, cannot be cheap for us. Above all, this call to discipleship of costly grace is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life but he delivered him up for us. Costly grace is just the incarnation of God himself in Christ. <laughs> Where Peter denied Jesus because he was afraid, through the power of the resurrection, Peter would die for Jesus 
because he was in love. And Peter's death would be for the glory of God. Peter would die so that God's glory would be cultivated into the world even further. Are you willing to die for the glory of God? Are you willing to say, not my will, but yours be done, Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your preferences and your desires for your life for the sake of the glory of the only one who can give you eternal life? Are you so consumed with the passion for the glory of God that you willingly follow him into the places you do not want to go? But more than anything, have you experienced the power of the resurrection? Have you experienced the power of resurrection like Peter did when he saw the resurrected Savior before him and he said, okay, I'm all in. Like Peter, have you seen the resurrected Savior in such a way that it is worth your life? I pray you have. Only through an encounter with the power of the resurrection will you see a vision of the Christian life that is worth your life. And I pray that happens today. Jesus loves you, church. And Jesus is thrilled when we gather together in a unity that's rooted in God and rooted in the gospel. And I pray that you are encouraged today through the scriptures and that as you see this call of Jesus to Peter to follow him even unto death, that you would also see Jesus' call on your life to follow him, to lay down everything that is hindering you from believing the gospel fully in your life and turn to him and walk with him. I'm going to pray for us now, and uh, I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to go into a time of song. And don't miss what the Lord's doing. If you need prayer, we've got some incredible people in our church who would love to pray for you. They'll be situated somewhat at the front, so if you want to just come down and pray, it'd be great. Or afterwards, we can meet with you afterwards and pray, whatever it is. Don't miss what the Lord's doing. And we're just so thankful to be here this morning. Uh, if you would, just pray with me, and then we're going to go to a time of worship. Um, so yeah. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the scriptures, how you have so clearly spoken to us and shown us that, Lord, what you offer us in the gospel is truly worth our life, God, that we can bank all of our lives upon these promises. Just so thankful for this morning together with our people. And I just pray that you would encourage and build up your church now. And Lord, maybe for those here who may say, Alex, I don't know if I've ever experienced the power of the resurrection. I don't know if I've ever seen Jesus in his fullness, a vision that calls me to come and die, yet live in Christ. I pray now, today, would be a day where they turn to Christ in a fresh way. And I pray that we would all have ears to hear and see what you want to do in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, God.